Welcome to the Cosmos in You podcast, where we interview scientists, philosophers, and leading thinkers to discuss the nature of our reality and the impact it has on our daily lives. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Cosmos in You podcast. This is your host, Susanna Scully. And if this is your first time listening in, welcome. We're excited to have you here. And if you are tuning back in, thanks for coming back. And I just wanted to give a huge thank you to so many of you that are sharing the podcast on social media with your friends. I uh, cannot tell you how much it means to me and has been really wonderful to connect with so many of you. So thank you. Today, I'm very excited about today's episode. Today, we have Dr. Leslie Carr, who is a licensed clinical psychologist with a private practice in San Francisco. In addition to being a therapist and coach, Leslie does a lot of writing and speaking, and her work has been featured on popular websites like the Huffington Post, Mind Body Green. Leslie was dubbed a web-savvy psychotherapist by the San Francisco Chronicle, and she's created two great digital products. One is an ebook that you'll hear a little bit about in this interview, and the other is an e-course on the topic of living mindfully in the digital age, i.e., how do we get over the addiction to our phones, which I know I personally have such a love-hate relationship with my phone. So her course is all about how to live mindfully through that. It's awesome. Uh, So her passion is to help people see that there is more to their emotional lives than meets the eye. In this episode, we discuss what most therapists will never tell you, the three beliefs we learn as a child and how it affects us today, how we can protect ourselves from others' contagious emotions, And finally, the steps to take to begin living your highest path. So without further ado, let's jump in. Welcome, Leslie. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Suzanne. It's a thrill. I'm excited for us to chat. So what I'd love to do is have you start by telling our audience a bit about you, your story, your journey, and what brought you to where you are today. Hmm. Okay. Big question. I like it. Uh, let's see. So I am, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. Psychologist. I've been in private practice for about five years. And prior to that, you know, I'm, I'm an East coast to West coast transplant. So I had, I had moved across uh, the country to go to grad school, but in terms of what got me interested in this, you know, there's so many different <laughs> different directions that I could take this in. I I gave a TEDx talk where I talked a little bit about what made me want to become a therapist in the first place and what it really boils down to is the fact that my parents had been very pro-therapy. So I had gone to a therapist for the first time when I was 10 years old and uh, worked with her for a couple of years, had a really, really great experience with that. And I think over the course of time that I worked with her and got to know her, there was this feeling kind of waking up in my brain of like, hey, this would be a pretty cool thing to do when I grow up. And uh, I took a little bit of a break after college just because I didn't didn't really want to go straight to grad school. Something didn't feel quite right about um, graduating straight from college and going into grad school and becoming, you know, getting like a doctorate in psychology and being done by the time I was in my late 20s. I felt like I needed to live a little life. So I took a break and took kind of a circuit circuitous path, but it eventually brought me out to San Francisco where I went to grad school, got licensed, started to practice. And now, um, I work in a way that really focuses on, I work almost solely with women 
Um, and I, I do actually something that's a little bit of a blend of psychotherapy and coaching, just because I think it's really important to think not just about people, where people come from, but where they're headed. Mm. And I work with female artists and entrepreneurs who are kind of goal-directed, thinking, feeling, sometimes introverted people who just need a space to really think about how they feel about their lives and what they want for themselves. And it's really juicy and rich. I love it. Mm, it's great. And and one of the, um, I was just saying on the our pre-interview, just to share with my audience, you're one of my favorite people. Mm-hmm. I think you are just so smart and caring and wonderful and bubbling. That's not the right word, but it's just this energy that comes off of you. And whenever you and I get together, we just jump right in because we share so many similar thoughts and insights and curiosities. And one of the things that we've been talking a lot about is is this weird world of emotions, which you mm-hmm. have a whole new insight into than the average person. So I'd love for us to jump into that. What do you mean by weird world of emotions? Well, I am very happy to dive right into that. One thing I just want to say really quickly, because what you said was so sweet. I just want you to know that the feelings are so mutual. Oh, and yeah, I was, I was thinking about that this morning, just in terms of how much I love talking to you and how, how much fun this podcast is going to be just from the standpoint that I think it's about time we took this show on the road. <laughs> no, <laughs> we've been talking. No one's listening to our conversations. I know, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think one of the things that I am really fascinated by, and I can only imagine that anyone who who likes your podcast might be interested in this. I think that we get really confusing messages in just sort of in popular culture. If I think about the information that the average person has access to, I think we get really messed up messages about how people come to be the way they are, why we think the way we think, why we feel the way that we feel. And in so many ways, this is um, really informs what I think of as being my the core message that I want to bring to the world. Because I was thinking about this a little bit when I was just sort of talking about my history and where I come from. And I'm sorry, I'm going to be a little bit over them all over the map just mm-hmm. for a minute here while I, I kind of weave some things together. But one of the things that I really love about my background and my history and the way that I was trained to think about the work that I do is I have been exposed in a really wonderful way to a lot of people who have been very willing to think outside the box. And I think it's really informed the perspective that I have on the information that so many people get access to in terms of how big this disconnect is and how messed up things are. So to to land the plane and to get a little bit more clarity around this, there are so many people in our culture that have been led to believe that if they feel sad in an ongoing manner, something that we would call like, let's say depression, Mm -hmm. that they have a chemical imbalance and that the best thing that they can do to treat that situation is to take a pill. Now I don't, I want to be very careful here because my goal is not to disparage chemical interventions. I think that there's a time and a place for everything, but I think that for so many people, that's, that's the only information that they really get access to because that is a narrative that really benefits pharmaceutical companies and insurance agencies, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, the pharmaceutical companies gain an enormous advantage by selling people not just a cure, but a worldview, right? That if you feel depressed, you have a chemical imbalance. Ah, it's a narr- that's a narrative. And, and what you're saying is that that narrative is not true? 
I think it's very limitedly true. I think that if it is, if it's a version of the story that deserves a seat at the table, it just deserves one seat at the table. It is not the whole story. Mm. I think something that I see in my practice over and over and over again is people who come to see me who are feeling something that they don't totally understand, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I feel depressed. I don't know why. And it's through the process of asking the right questions that you scratch beneath the surface and you start to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. But I think what happens for so many people, I mean, it's just a, just, just a very sad number of people. Like it's just, it's, it's really, it makes me really sad how pervasive this is. People will go to their GP. They go to their general practitioner. They say they feel depressed. Mm-hmm. Their GP writes a prescription for Prozac. No mm-hmm. questions asked, sends them on their merry way. Oh, I have to tell you, just to interject, I had this experience, not to share TMI with people. Two years ago, I said to my um, OBGYN, it was a new OBGYN, I was with Kaiser. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I said to her, you know, um, when I have, I can't believe I'm sharing this on the podcast. Hey, everybody. Oh, um, but I said, when I have PMS, <laughs> when I have PMS, I find my emotions get dulled and I feel, I just feel totally different, um, you know, right before. And she said, would you like me to write you a prescription for Prozac? And I literally almost fell on the floor. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Did, did, is that literally what you've just, you're not going to say to me, that's totally normal. Have you tried exercise the week before? Do you make sure that you're eating really clean, you know, in the few days before, like, let's run the gamut. You don't know me. You haven't run through any alternative things. And literally she wanted to write it to me. I, I never saw that woman again. Um, anyway, so I just want to share a personal yeah, agreement. Well to, be, well, to be completely honest with you, you know, I really don't think you have anything to be self-conscious about in sharing that because the thing that I have come to find as someone who, you know, does this work, mm-hmm. thinking about this stuff all the time, having these conversations with people all the time, meeting people, et cetera, is that a frightening number of people have stories like that. Almost oh. every time that I talk about this with someone, they're like, oh my God, that's happened to me. It's happened to me. Yeah. It has totally happened to me. Oh, man. It has totally happened to me. Yeah. I... So, you know, and in my case specifically, actually, it wasn't a GP. It was just Mm -hmm. that I, you know, I've had so many, you know, different experiences of being in therapy. And Mm -hmm. at one point, uh, you know, (laughs) when I was 16, uh, my parents sent me to see a psychiatrist because Mm -hmm. I was a little bit too preoccupied with like cleaning the house, like rather than doing my homework, I was cleaning the house. And so he gave me a prescription for Prozac that I took for like six months. Mm. And then I woke up six months later, 16, 17 year old girl and was like, why is no one curious about why I'm doing this? Uh, No one even asked. No one ever asked. Nobody ever. I mean, who knows? You know, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot going on. I chalk it up to simple procrastination, but it's like, why are you putting a 16 year old girl on Prozac? Because she's like probably being a little too thorough about cleaning the kitchen when she really should be doing her homework. Like, not to say that it was quite that simple. I think there was more that was happening for me. Which there is for every 16 year old girl, by the way. Precisely. Right. Yeah. There is for everyone. Yeah. You know, life is really complicated. Yeah. You know, we feel lots of, lots of difficult feelings. We go through lots of difficult things. And I think for so many people, because it feels a little bit confusing and that is, that is the nature of our emotional lives that they can be confusing, you know, our our waking emotional experience in some ways can sort of mirror dream states where it's like, you know, let's say you wake up from a dream and you're like, what the fuck was that all about? Like it's, it is, you know, there are these things that, that bubble up from the unconscious. We get 
all of these signs that sort of bubble up from within, right? And it is the nature of the psyche to be somewhat confounding. Mm, What do you mean by that? Tell me more. So to go back to the idea of let's paint two scenarios, right? There's the person who goes to their GP. They say, I feel depressed. They get a prescription for Prozac. They're sent on their way. Mm-hmm. That same person might come into my office and say, you know, I've been feeling depressed lately. I don't really know why. Um, I went to see this doctor. She gave me a prescription for Prozac. I don't really want to take it. Let's say they're having the same reaction you had, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's not quite sitting well with me, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't know what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we start to ask some questions. We sort of root around a little bit. And slowly but surely, and it usually, to be honest with you, doesn't even take that much time, you start to realize that there's something happening in the person's life that they are defending themselves from a little bit. Um, And when I say defending, I'm going to unpack this and make sure that it's clear. But what I mean is that they're psychologically defending themselves from it defense mechanisms like denial, repression, you know, these are very real things. They're, they're, they are, they are our mind's attempt to protect us from ourselves. Sometimes they kind of become the problem, right? But we have all of these incredibly clever ways. There are all of these fancy things happening in our brains all of the time that are sort of saying, don't look too close at this. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So simple, classic example, there's something called reaction formation. It's a defense mechanism like depression, which is to put it quite simply, you're really, really angry at somebody that you love. And that anger is so threatening that you flip it on its head and you convince yourself that they can do no wrong. People do this a lot with their parents, right? They'll really idealize a parent that might be a great parent, but Mm -hmm. it's probably not perfect because nobody is perfect. Right. And instead of saying, actually, I'm really angry at this person because they did something that hurt me, it's like, let's not talk about this. So they bury it. They bury it. They bury it. They hide it. You know, we, we, um, we kind of distract ourselves in all of these different ways. And then as a result, our conscious experience is that something is wrong that we can't put our finger on. So explain conscious experience to people, meaning what they're aware of. Yeah, what you're what you are actually aware of, mm-hmm. what you the okay. thoughts that you think that you can put a finger on. Okay. Yeah. So the conscious experience is I am I feel depressed, I am sad, but I have no idea why. Now, what's happening? Tell me what's happening in the subconscious. Well, it really depends on the circumstances, right? Yeah. And I think that's where having having someone to guide you through this process is so crucial because so often we can't figure it out on our own. We can't really. Why can't only, we? Oh, that's such a good question. Partially, I think because the nature of the you know the nature of the stuff that is hidden from us makes it so that uh, it can be really hard to see it without someone else's help. Now that's only one piece of the answer. Mm-hmm. I do think I do think it's mm, in some ways trying to solve your problems totally on your own. I yeah. mean, it's one thing once you develop the school, the, the tools and the skills, and you you know. But yeah. for a lot of people, I think what happens is that there's a problem. They can't quite put their finger on it, mm-hmm. and it's almost like they're they would be feeling around in the dark to try to figure it out all on their own. Right. Yeah. Because there's no, there's no one there to say, 
but what about this? Mm-hmm. What about this thing? What about this thing that you just told me that your parent did to you? It actually was really, really deeply hurtful. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't their fault. They didn't mean to. Mm-hmm. The, our goal here is not to demonize them. If anything, our goal here is to have compassion for them as a human being who makes mistakes. Yeah. But you're feeling something here. There's something here that's happening for you. And the only way that we're going to get underneath it and figure it out is by getting really curious, Mm. really curious in a way that is free of judgment. You know, that this is part of the human condition. This is literally the way the brain works, that we all have life experiences. They impact us in different ways. There's nothing to be ashamed of. To be ashamed of it would be to be ashamed of being a human being, right? Yeah. But we're we're here. We struggle. It's real. And let's, let's, let's lift the hood and poke around a little bit. Yeah, almost as if I mean, I think of the movie Inside Out. But if you think about emotions or memories, as rooms, and Mm -hmm. having a guide to, Mm -hmm. you know, open each room and kind of look in with as to your point, if it's dark inside, look inside with a flashlight, see if there's anything there. I mean, I know I've had with my own experience of working, I've worked with my coach for now two years, and he's does neurolinguistic programming. Mm -hmm. But anyway, there are things that I never even thought they're nowhere near on the conscious level for me, you know, back to like, sixth grade sitting on the blacktop, you know, someone said something. I mean, that's not something I think about. But wow, you start, you know, but it's in there. Yeah, but it's it's in there. And it is affecting me today without and I you need a guide to help you you know open those doors and look in the flashlight so we all need a Sherpa right yeah Sherpa Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now one of the things that you've that you and I have talked about which I do find so so fascinating is this idea of transmitting emotions and absorbing emotions and then emotions being contagious will you tell us a bit about that oh I would love to okay so let's see so I, you know, one of the things that I will, I will tell you that's very funny about my profession is that, um, and I do think that this is unfortunately part of the reason why the information that the average person gets is different than let's say what a, what a therapist, a psychologist kind of holds on to. And it's because you, when you go to school for this stuff, they teach you all of these things that you know, and people outside are not talking about. And it's almost as if you're, it's almost as if you're indoctrinated in some sort of secret society. And I get the feeling sometimes that it's almost as if I'm not supposed to be talking about what I'm about to talk about. I was thinking about that before we started this morning. I was like, I almost texted a friend who's a colleague of mine and was tempted to say to her, do you ever get the feeling that we, it's almost like we signed an NDA agreement where we agreed to never talk about this stuff publicly. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's really, I am about to say some stuff that you don't, that no therapist or psychologist would be surprised to hear me say, but you you tend to not hear about it outside of those circles. But so here's a really good, here's a really good example. One of the things that you are trained to think about when you are trained to become a therapist is something called countertransference. Now, the word transference is something that a lot of people have heard of, which is just the idea that as a therapy patient, there is a tendency to kind of project. And let me say this, and then I'll back up and I'll explain it just to make sure that I'm not getting jargonish. But there is a tendency to project onto your therapist thoughts and feelings that you have about other people in your life, right? We have these, what I would call relational templates. We have, and I'll back way up just to paint a quick picture for people. We are born 
to learn, right? We have these brains that are like sponges Mm -hmm. and we are meant to make, to turn information to sort of, um, to create rules out of it. Right. So when children are growing up and they're being parented and they're, they're, they're learning about the world, they tend to overgeneralize from what they learn. Right. So like if mommy is really sweet and kind, the world is sweet and kind, right? Mm, okay. If daddy is mean and menacing, other people are threatening, right? Like it's, there's just a natural tendency to overgeneralize. And as a result, as this little baby toddler grows up, he or she will tend to interact with the world in a way that reinforces that expectation, right? Because it's, you could almost chalk it up to confirmation bias, right? Where we, we have a tendency to operate in the world in a way that then reinforces however we assume the world is going to respond to us. And when you say assume, could I use the word belief in there? Sure. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. We have these unconscious beliefs that the world, we, we, we now have a worldview we don't even know we have, mm. right? Other people are dangerous. The world is inherently safe. You know, these are worldviews that people have that they tend to not reflect on much or even really be aware that they have because the mean, world is the way it is, it, right? It, it could be about yourself. It could be, I'll never amount to anything or I can do anything I put my mind to or... Precisely, okay. precisely. And I, so I tend to chalk it up into three things that as we are learning and going about our lives, we really are learning about three fundamental things. We learn about ourselves, what we think we're capable of, how we think other people are going to respond to us. We learn about other people, and that could get a little bit confusing, but we learn, we learn about ourselves and what we're capable of. We learn about other people, how they'll respond to us, what other people are like. You know, other people are inherently untrustworthy versus other people are trustworthy, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And thoughts about the world. Life is this way. Life, life is inherently unfair. Life, it, you know, it just, you, we come up with these. So it's those, we could put things into those three categories. Okay. A lot of times when people go into therapy, they have a tendency to assume, you know, they have this relational template for the way they think other people are or the way other people will respond to them. Mm-hmm. And they tend to assume that their therapist will think those thoughts, have those feelings, that kind of thing. That's an idea that's a lot. I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this right now think that could be new for them, but that's something that exists a little bit more in the public consciousness. What you hear about less is the therapist's version of that. And the therapist's version of that is something that we call countertransference. The countertransference are two kinds. There's objective and subjective. Subjective countertransference is like my own thoughts and feelings, right? I might have a reaction to someone who's sitting in my office because they remind me of my father, you know, like, and, and that's my job to make sure that I'm monitoring that and, and, and keeping that in check, right? But there's also objective countertransference, which is to say that I'm having a reaction to the person who's sitting in my room because they tend to elicit this reaction in people. So let's say the person has a tendency to be a little bit controlling. Mm-hmm. And, and I notice that they're doing things that another patient or client might not do, like... Um, Interrupt. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and just like I'm noticing that I'm starting to have some feelings of maybe being devalued mm-hmm. or, you know, I'm noticing some feelings that definitely feel unique to this situation, right? Okay. A big part of my job as a therapist is to feel those feelings and to sort them out for myself. What part of my experience right now is related to me and who I am versus what part of my experience is related to this other person and who they are and what they're bringing to the table. Now, to take it one step further, because I know that this is you know what we really want to be talking about mm-hmm. here, 
is how then emotions kind of get transmitted between people in the sense that a lot of times I'm responding to somebody because let's say they're, they're doing something that's giving me a little bit of information about how they operate in the world. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'm also just feeling their experience, like something that therapists talk about a lot with each other. This is where things get a little woo woo and spooky in a way that I personally think is awesome, but it's very common to the field of, of mental health and mental health treatment is we'll talk about things like how we will notice that we're holding on to a piece of the client's experience. So for example, if they feel really anxious, you can sometimes notice that you feel anxious just because you're feeling their anxiety. Mm. So there's this transmission, yes. you know, and, and that's something that just happens all the time in the world. This is not something that's unique to the quote unquote yes. consulting room. You know, there's another, another term for what we're talking about here is something called emotional contagion. I know that I'm, this is a lot of information right now, but I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. Something called emotional contagion, which is to say that if you were sitting in a room by yourself and someone else came into that room, let's say you just were feeling completely neutral, like you're on your computer, you're not necessarily feeling anything that you're aware of. Mm -hmm. Somebody else comes into the room and they're in a really good mood. Suddenly your mood brightens. Mm -hmm. They come into the room and they're in a really bad mood. Suddenly things don't use. You're, you're noticing a different kind of reaction, right? Yes. And I think that is a huge piece of the human experience that we don't talk about enough. We don't talk about how, how emotions are transmitted between people, how they, how they kind of get passed off, sometimes kind of like a hot potato, right? Like, I don't want to hold this. You hold it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, And we talk about it where we say like that, you know, I always think about people say, you know, he just had a really bad vibe or they had a really good vibe to them. You know, I got okay. good vibes. And it's like, that is all vibration. It's the, it's the vibrational frequency of what they are emitting from their emotions. That's what we're all feeling, but nobody breaks it down that much. But we're all comfortable saying, I got a bad vibe. I think everybody listening right now is comfortable that, you know, general society is comfortable saying, I got a bad vibe from that person. What does that mean? Well, it's a really good question. So psychologists, in an attempt to think about this really scientifically, because we're always trying to be scientific about mm -hmm. stuff, even if we can't always be as much as we would like to be, um, they tend to look at unconscious cues. So for example, facial expression, mm. um, you know, we do pick up so much from nonverbal communication. So often they say that it's what, you know, 90, 90% of communication is nonverbal. And I think when they say that a lot of what they're talking about is everything, right? It's body language, it's facial expression. It's, you know, so we, we do, we pick up on that stuff. We tend to respond to it. One piece of that, that theory is that we unconsciously mimic what we see in other people because human beings have a tendency to do that uh, almost mm. through a process of kind of mirroring a rapport. You know, we kind of can't help if somebody's looking at us and they feel really sad. You know, it feels perverse to have like a big smile on your face, <laughs> right? So you, yeah. you have a tendency to, to consciously or unconsciously kind of mimic that expression. And then the thinking is that in mimicking the expression, you then feel the feeling. Mm. And they call this the mirror neurons, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So via mirror neurons and, and all of the empathic processes, we're picking up on that stuff. We're repeating it, you know, and then we're, and then we're feeling it. But I do think that that has to be only part of the story. I don't, I can't help but feel like, mm, 
I guess as I get older and I get more open to the woo-woo, there's a feeling mm-hmm. of like, I can't, I can't help but feel like there's something going on here that we don't fully understand because mm-hmm. this can happen. Um, like a collective or, consciousness, potentially. Yeah, or even um, energy that is transmitted on dimensions that we can't see, yeah. you know, so... You know, for you as someone who thinks a lot about theoretical physics, and I'm mm-hmm. going to imagine that many of the people who listen to your podcast do, mm-hmm. you know, there's this idea that we have three physical dimensions and time that we have access to as human beings with our own perceptual systems. But most theoretical physics, you know, they debate this, how many how many dimensions there are. Is it 10? Is it 16? Yeah. But a lot of people would argue that there are dimensions that we can't perceive. Yeah. I can only imagine that things that we consider to be energy are transmitted along those dimensional lines. So it's stuff that we can't see, but it's, it's stuff that exists in the fabric of the cosmos, so to speak, you know, in the literal space that exists between us as people. Yes. I mean, it's the same. I've said it before on the podcast, but the idea of radio waves can't Mm -hmm. see them, you know, um, electromagnetic waves, all these waves, it's just, it's energy being passed and forth. We can't see it. We can't feel it. We can't touch it. It's still there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so what you're saying is that um, emotions uh, get transmitted in this way. So for the listener, for our audience, they're listening and they're saying, wow, you know, that's really fascinating to think about how permeable I am to emotion. So let's say somebody listening works in an environment where, you know, there's a lot of negative people or mm-hmm. um, maybe their friends or family or loved one or whatever it is. How do you, what do you say to that? What is, how do we protect ourselves for lack of a better word from it? Oh, that is such a good question. And it's kind of a big question. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say first things first, that I do think that different people have different degrees of permeability mm-hmm. and also different types of permeability, which is to say that I would say that I am probably permeable insofar as when I am in the presence of other people, I can often feel their state to a certain extent. And I'm aware of the fact that I can feel their state. I don't necessarily take it home with me. Mm. Um, Is that because you're trained or you're naturally that way? Probably maybe a little bit of both. Okay. Maybe a little bit of both. And then I do think that for some people, they feel really energetically permeable. They have a much harder time setting a boundary. Mm-hmm. And they often really are probably more than they even realize really feeling other people's feelings. Yeah. Particularly if they have anyone in their life that they love that's going through something really hard, they may find that they're feeling really depressed and really feeling depressed because someone in their life is depressed. Mm-hmm. And I guess if I needed to give that person a piece of advice, I would say that I do think it's really important to, um, and this is not, this is an easier said than done kind of thing, but to really know where we begin and where other people end and to give us permission, give ourselves permission to be our own encapsulated vessels where we don't have to take other people's stuff on. Mm. I think for some people, they do it because maybe they feel like they should on some level that it's might not that thought might not be entirely conscious that might be something that's kind of radiating radiating in the background but i think that for a lot of people it almost feels like a moral obligation mm-hmm. 
to feel whatever the people that you love are feeling when in reality, it's really not, that is not your karma, right? Like that is for, that is for them to work out, (laughs) Yes. you know, and your, your, your compassion is only going to go so far. You know, it's one thing for you to, to feel empathy for them. And it's another thing for you to really be carrying their burden for them. Mm. So I guess I just would suggest that people, if they really feel like they're struggling with this, to try to give themselves permission to just, you know, keep their eyes on their own paper. This is, I have a feeling this is a big one, Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Because we all, life has challenges. There's no, you know, two ways about it. We're all going to go through hard things on our, in our own lives, in our loved ones' lives, in, in public, right? In the world, you know, you think about the Paris terrorist attacks, you know, didn't know anybody there yet. I still feel all the emotions. So on macro levels and micro levels, I think maybe I'm just personally interested in this because I do tend to feel people's emotions. So Mm -hmm. I may be a little selfish here, but you know, if we could, let's unpack this a little bit more on how do we, you know, to use your example of, you know, look at your own paper, how can you be, you know, one with the world and be empathetic without being brought down yourself? You know, what does it look like to be there for somebody and yet be separate, can be connected and be separate at the same time? Maybe that's what I'm curious about. Mm, That's a really good question. Let me think about that for a moment. I mean, I think one of the things that's coming to mind for me is just I am the kind of person who's sort of of the belief that compassion heals all, which is to say that I think it's really important to have compassion for other people, for animals, for mm-hmm. the planet. You know, mm-hmm. we don't, it's, it's an important part of being human is to be aware that there is suffering in the world, but I think we also have to have compassion for ourselves mm. and to recognize that there is so much complexity happening on this planet at any given moment. You know, there's so much suffering, so much sadness, mm-hmm. so much joy, so much light. Mm-hmm. And I guess there's a part of me that feels like the ultimate goal in some ways is to create a sense of expansiveness or expansion within yourself where you can kind of make room for all of it without it taking you down. Mm. That may sound a little lofty. No, but love it. mm. Yeah. Um, I'm writing it down, expansiveness inside of us. Because, you know, I once, I think it was in Neil Donald Walsh's uh, book, conversations with God. And he talks about this, you know, why do we have the the suffering and the horrible things that happen? And, and he said, if you think about the colors of white, uh, the color white, everything is included in that color. And so it all, it all makes it up. Or if you think about, you know, complete utter darkness, um, and you hold up a candle, then you can see the candle. But if you didn't have the darkness, you couldn't see the candle, right? So it's just, and we've all heard these before. I know it's nothing new to anyone, but it's this sense that the light and the dark can exist at the same time. And then it doesn't have to be one or the other. They both exist at the same time. I think, is that what you mean by this expansiveness? I think that it, I think that is very, I think you're summing it up really well. I mean, there's one other piece of this that's coming to mind, which is just to say that, because I think for a lot of people that may sound really good, but they might feel like they don't know what to take away yes. from, from that. Yeah. And I, I really do think that, you know, our primary job on this planet, I really do believe in so many ways 
is to live the best life that we possibly can mm-hmm. to be, you know, as contented as we possibly can be. And from that standpoint, it does, you know, life so much is about often it's what you choose to focus on. Yep. And because there is so much good and there is so much bad, you know, we, we get to choose what we focus on. Mm-hmm. And I know that I sometimes will have moments where I think to myself, I will become aware of some piece of sadness in the world. Mm-hmm. And I will make a choice to think about something else. Yeah. And, and I, a lot of my own personal work is to really absolve myself of any degree of guilt for, for choosing to focus on something that is light and joyful. Yes. And because I, and I think that's really important for a couple of reasons. One is because we can't help anybody else if we don't take care of ourselves mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. So I do think our primary obligation is to make sure that, you know, in the same way that we're talking about having compassion for other people, having compassion for ourselves, in a lot of ways, the compassion that we have for ourselves is the most important piece because without that and without, you know, full tanks with which we can sort of go about helping other people, we can't, we don't have anything to give if we get totally depleted. And, but I also just think that it's not so often no one is benefiting from us thinking something, you know, we can sit around feeling sad about something that's happening in some other corner of the globe. No one benefits from that. That's right. That's, that's so unless huge. It, yeah. Unless it's going to motivate you to do something, you know, unless you're going to go get on a plane and, and try to go fix the problem, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, absolutely. We should be, you know, we should try to make a positive impact on the world. But if it's something that we, let's say we have no control over something we can't do anything about, I don't think anybody's benefiting from us. Yeah, I think I'm thinking of this, I think as Brene Brown has this great, one of those sort of character videos, those animated videos, have you seen this, um, where she talks about, I want to say it's the difference between empathy and compassion. I do think I've seen that. It's been a long time. Though. Yeah, me too. It's been a long time. So I may mess this up. So if people are listening and they're like, no, <laughs> just, just bear with me and go watch it yourself on YouTube. But um, but anyway, I think if I remember correctly, or maybe this was a Dalai Lama quote, I'm melding them all together. But it, in the sense of somebody is, you know, falls in the mud. And is it more helpful for you to go lay in the mud with them next to them? Right. Or is it more helpful? Oh, it's such a good example. Right. Or is it more helpful for you to say, wow, that are, you know, that must have been really hard. You're dirty. You're, you know, you're stuck in that mud. That must be really hard. Let me help you, you know, or right. Rather than being in that mud is really not helpful to them. Yeah. It's like get a rope if you can. Right. Right. But if you throw the rope in and there's a risk of you falling into the pit too, you got to yeah. find another solution. That's I mean, right. it's funny. So I was a, a trained lifeguard when I was a kid. I spent a lot of time on the water. And, you know, one of the first things that they teach you when you are getting certified to be a lifeguard is that if you ever feel sometimes when people are drowning, they fight, they don't, they don't rather than allowing themselves to be saved they kick and they fight and they put the person who's trying to save them at risk of drowning as well. And it's made very clear when you are getting certified to be a lifeguard that if you ever feel like you are at risk of being taken under by somebody who's not participating in the process that you need to kick away as fast as you can. Wow. And I think that that is a, that's sort of a similar example, right? Because it's one thing to try to help someone. Yep. It is another thing to sacrifice yourself mm. in an attempt to somebody to, to help someone who is not only not helping themselves, but making the problem worse. Oh, I feel like I'm in church where I'm like, amen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> yes. This is so big. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I do think 
think that that happens to a lot of people much more so than they realize. I agree. There, there's so much thought and energy is going into trying to help someone who is not doing anything to help themselves. Yes. Yes. I just, I have a friend whose parents are going through a divorce and we just had this conversation two days ago where she was really afraid for her father, you know, of how he's going to handle this. And he's had problems in the past and whatnot. And anyway, and I, I was explaining, and I think I'm right, and you could speak to this better, that I think they say, for example, in AA, um, don't they say, like, never rob someone of their rock bottom? Oh, that that expression is so close to other expressions that okay. I've heard. It yeah. sounds like a good AA expression. Yeah. Yeah. And so what they mean by that, well, why, you're the therapy, you tell me, what 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 does that mean? Well, so the way that I interpret that based on every other expression that I know that's yeah. like it is that people, people tend to not change until things get bad enough to change. Mm-hmm. And so the, the notion of rock bottom, which so often is applied to addiction, but can be applied to so many other things yeah. too, is that in a lot of ways, if you have an addict in your life, you really need to not buffer them from the consequences of their own actions because a lot of people won't make a change until they experience what feels to them like their ultimate consequences, right? Mm-hmm. So what you know, what a lot of people say is that it's kind of like an elevator. You don't necessarily have to take it all the way down to the basement. Like everybody has a different version of their own rock bottom. Yeah. But a lot of times you have to let somebody suffer the consequences of their own behavior. So they go, oh, shit, what am I doing? Right. And so, yeah, that's the way I interpret that is just don't, don't, don't remove from someone else their own opportunity to really face the full consequences of their own behavior. Well, and you know, to, to tie this into cosmos and you, my belief about the world and, you know, I'll just throw it out there of why I think the world exists Mm -hmm. is that I think maybe I've said this before on the podcast, but I think prior to the big bang consciousness existed and the whole reason that we incarnate and reincarnate is to experience because it's different to know something than it is to experience it. So I can say, I know what it feels like to, to be a king, the, you know, a wealthy, powerful king. I can imagine because I've read books about it. I can intellectualize it, but until I experience it, I can't, I, I don't really know. And so my sense is that we all come to experience different shades of all ways of life, all emotions, right? And that I remember reading once about karma, you know, they talk about, oh, well, it's karma. um, And you'll finally, you know, get what you, you know, put out or whatnot. But I think, you know, I've read once, maybe it was in Journey of Souls, or I can't remember once, but if, let's say in this lifetime, I murdered you, then in the next lifetime, I would be the, I would experience what it was like, not necessarily, maybe not to be murdered, but to be, you know, persecuted against or whatever, because there has to be a balancing of energy and just of experiencing all sides of it. And so to bring it back to this idea of not going down with people is everybody is, like you said it, everybody is on a journey to experience different things. And oh yeah, yeah. And so our job is not to experience everybody else's journey is to experience your own journey. Absolutely. Like now I'm having my, my amen moment. I, I (laughs) I really do believe 
that we're all here to learn certain lessons. Mm -hmm. And I just know that I can look back at my own life and I think that I look at the hardest things I have been through and I know that they made me who I am and it feels very much to me like that was just meant to be my story, Mm -hmm. right? And the journey that I am living today is just for whatever, in whatever way, weird way or weird reason, this is the way Mm -hmm. things are meant to be, right? And I... I have had the good and bad fortune of of loving people who have seemed hell-bent on their own personal destruction. Mm. And I know firsthand that sometimes we just need to get out of their way. Yeah. Like that is someone else's journey and it was part of my journey to love somebody who was self-destructive. Mm. And it is part of their journey either to self-destruct or just to play with the idea really hard, you know? And, and I, I, yeah, I do believe, I think for a lot of people, a big part of their, their personal journey and their kind of growth experience is to realize how much of their own life and energy is being devoted to somebody else who's not gonna give back to them in the way that they're giving Yes. Yes. And being responsible, being responsible for your own choices and And choosing themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And choosing what you focus on. Mm -hmm. Um, So to sort of to, to bring it back together for our listeners, if they say, you know what, I want, I want to choose my highest path. I want to choose my best, you know, put my best foot forward, choose choose a life that brings me joy and fulfillment and resilience. I'm reading a new book by Eric Greetens. I may be mispronouncing his name called Resilience. He's a Navy mm. SEAL and oh my gosh, it's so good. Mm. So good. But anyway, it's all about resilience, which I think you and I, maybe we could do a whole other podcast episode on resilience. Mm, but totally. um, but anyway, um, so for the listener who says, yeah, you know, I, I want to choose my best life. What advice or steps do we start to take um, in order to take, I don't want to say that we use the word control, but you know, I'll just use it for lack of a better word that's coming to me to take control back of, of your inner emotions and how you view today and your life going forward. What, what advice would you give? Well, I would say, especially just in the vein of what we're talking about right now, because I, I might answer that question in slightly different ways, given different contexts. Mm-hmm. But I do think that what I'm about to say is a great place to start. I would ask, I would, I would suggest that they ask themselves what they really, really want for their lives. Mm-hmm. And if they are not going after it, why? Mm-hmm. Because I think that for a lot of people, I, I do truly believe that, you know, that it's been called self-actualization or a self-actualizing principle, right? Mm -hmm. That um, people are put on this planet to become the highest version of themselves. And it's kind of like, I always like to liken it to a um, a little shoot of something green that's kind of poking out between the cracks of concrete. You know, Mm -hmm. for so many people, it really feels that way, right? Like it's the tiny little thing that's trying so hard. And I think for a lot of people, you know, we all deep down have some inner sense of something that we want for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm pausing actually, because I do know that some people struggle with feeling like they don't even know what that is. So yes. in their case, they have to, ba- they have to back up a step further. And if you want, we can get to that after the fact. But I do think most people have some inner sense of something that they want. And for many, many people, so much more common that we want it than we want to think that it is, they don't go after it 
for a couple of different reasons, but it's sometimes they think, you know, sometimes it's a lack of faith in themselves, mm-hmm. but more often than not, it's out of loyalty or allegiance to somebody else that they fear may be hurt by them shining and doing their best in the world. And so I think sometimes if we're really going to have a serious come to Jesus moment with ourselves, you know, if, if the question is, you know, I want to live my best life, where do I start? Mm -hmm. I would say have a serious conversation with yourself about why you're not already doing what you say you want to do. And is it possible that it's, that the reason why you're not doing that is because it feels somehow like it would be injurious to someone that you love. Oh, drop the mic. (laughs) (laughs) Just drop the mic. You get out of here. Yes. I wrote about that a lot in my ebook. There's an ebook on my site if anybody's interested in it Mm -hmm. about why it's hard to become the people that we want to become. Mm. I do think that that peace is so huge, so much more pervasive than we give it credit for that we suffer or we don't do what we say we want to do because we are trying to tell someone else that we love them. Mm. And by being that person, we no longer belong to that. We no longer, we, we are in some way violating some sense of belonging to them. For sure. Yeah. And so where, tell me again, where do people find, um, if they want to explore this more, tell me more about the ebook. Well, so it's, um, so the, my website is lesliecar.com. Okay. L-E-S-L-I-E-C-A-R-R. They can go to my website. And, um, and what was the question? It's kind of like, what would, what more would they learn? Yeah. It's tell us, just tell us a quick bit more yeah, about like it's a called, little, yeah. the nutshell version. Yeah. Um, this ebook is called when change takes time. And it's really just meant to help people kind of get underneath why they're not doing what they say they want to do Mm -hmm. or not. Why is evolution so hard? It was really meant in an attempt to, 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 to fight a little bit with some of the problems that I have with things that I see in kind of self-help culture. There's Mm -hmm. so much emphasis on like the quick fix, Mm -hmm. quick solution. And I guess what I felt like I was seeing over and over again were people that were trying the quick solutions and not having the solutions that they were going after. And so it's really meant to be a little bit of a psychological exploration around, you know, why are you not seeing the results you want to see? Mm, So good. So good. And you have a private Facebook group once you get the ebook, right? Which I love, which I'm a part of. (laughs) Oh, you're so sweet. I love. um, Yeah. yeah. And if you buy the ebook, then you get to join the Facebook group. And then I'm there to give people you know, to cheer people on and ask provocative questions and, and kind of keep the ball rolling. Uh, so great. And then you also see clients one on one. Is it only in the Bay Area you see clients or do you see them via Skype as well? I do a lot of work via Skype and over the phone too. Okay. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. And they can find all that information uh, online. Yeah. Perfect. It's all on my website. Yeah. Perfect. And then you're also on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. Great. And I'll put all this information on the uh, show notes. Oh, all right. Well, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Whoa. So good. I just am like tingling with imagining all the, you know, aha moments people are having having while listening. So thank you for sharing your wisdom and thank, insights. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. All right. So good. Have a great day, everyone. You too. Bye. 
I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. And I would love to continue the conversation with each of you over at our Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash cosmos in you or our Twitter page. The Twitter handle also is cosmos in you. And of course, at our website, cosmos in Again, thank you so much for listening in. I'm so grateful to each of you to be able to share this shared passion and look forward to seeing you next time.